Um, last year, uh, we looked at some sort of famous uh, uh, figures in the Bible. They were all men. So this year, uh, we decided, or at least Gary did when he put the uh, sermon bits together, that we're looking at women in the Bible. And this, well, last week, we looked at Miriam. And we had a good time with Miriam last week. And this week, we're going to look at Deborah. Her story is uh, told in Judges chapter 4 and chapter 5. We're not going to read all of it, but I'm going to read Judges chapter 4, the first 16 verses. And uh, we'll just work out through briefly a few lessons that we can learn all ages uh, for the world today and the world that we live in, uh, in the same way that Deborah uh, had to show how to live it in her world and her context at that time. We've had a whole... Uh, 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 pattern of the nation of Israel uh, being blessed uh, because they were obedient to God, and then uh, rebellion and judgment, and then blessed and the rebellion. This kind of pattern uh, started and it carries on, and uh, we're going to look at that uh, briefly today. So, uh, Judges chapter 4. After Ehud died, the Israelites once again did evil in the lives of the Lord. So, the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, a king of Canaan who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Caesarea, who lived in Hashareth Haggian. Because he had 900 iron chariots and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, they cried to the Lord for help. Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at that time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites came to her to have their disputes decided. She sent for Barak, son of Abnium from Kedesh in Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you. Go take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun and lead the way to Mount Tabor. I will lure Caesarea, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. Barak said to her, If you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Very well, Deborah said, I will go with you, but because of the way you are going about this, the honour will not be yours, for the Lord will hand Caesarea over to a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh, where he summoned Zebulun and Naphtali. 10,000 men followed him, and Deborah also went with him. Now Heber the Kenite had left the other Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, Moses' brother-in-law, and pitched his tent by the great tree in Zananim near Kadesh. When they told Caesarea that Barak, son of Abinium, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Caesarea gathered together his 900 iron chariots and all the men with him, from Harasheth Haggium to the Kishon River. Then Deborah said to Barak, Go, this is the day the Lord has given Caesarea into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down Mount Tabor, followed by 10,000 men. At Barak's advance, the Lord rooted Caesarea and all his chariots and army by the sword, and Caesarea abandoned his chariot and fled on foot. But Barak purchased the chariots and army as far as Harasheth Haggim, and all the troops of Caesarea fell by the sword. Not a man was left. So, uh, Deborah, the only female judge of Israel, she was known as a kind of a mediator, uh, an advisor, um, a counsellor. Uh, she was called on to lead, she planned, she directed. Uh, She told other people uh, what to do. She was good at delegating. Uh, She uh, uh, made sure that other people were doing their bit as well. And the story has continued, like I mentioned at the beginning, and we see often in our own lives patterns of behaviour, don't we? Um, We can look back and kind of be a bit critical of Israel, and you think, well, why didn't they just follow God? 
and things would be better for them. But of course, in our own lives, sometimes we can rebel as well. And last week, we had Miriam uh, following God's rescue plan of Israel from Egyptian captivity. She starts well, praising God for everything that he's done um, against the background of the Israelites of forgetfulness. You know, they were moaning a bit, weren't they? Weren't things better uh, when we were under slavery? And they were neglecting God, not following his purposes and his ways. And that pattern began, this pattern of blessing and obedience and judgment in rebellion. rebellion. Um, and really, I was thinking about this. Isn't that the pervading culture we find ourselves in as a nation, sometimes as churches? Um, the, look at the pattern of life. You look around the world. And it's great to hear some of the things that have been going on in the summer because that's people who have been uh, selfless. They've given up free time, uh, given up holiday uh, in some cases, to, whether it's a Christian camp or a holiday at home or a holiday Bible club. When I looked at some of the volunteers or all those things, they're people who, a lot of people, they're worked uh, or probably have got family um, um, commitments as well but they gave up their time because they thought, they thought it was worth it. And it's against the prevailing culture of the me culture. You know, I want what's good for me. I want it all, and I want it now. And then because we want that, so then we work harder and harder and harder, and then there's an attack on family and marriages because the pressure is too great, and you see the spirituality behind it. There is one who wants to come against families. There's one who wants to come against marriage. Uh, because he knows if he causes disarray there, society gradually breaks down. There's an attack on faith, isn't there? You've noticed that's an attack on the Christian faith, particularly uh, in this country, not only in this country. And it leads to disarray. Um, it, we're, we're rapidly becoming a country that's turned away from God. Like Israel, uh, we're being rebellious, so as a country we can be rebellious. Um, in the last 50 years, Sunday school attendance has just fallen through the floor. And it's great that there are things going on where kids, which is a miracle, they want to go to camps or Bible clubs or whatever it is, but we have a chance, or people within our congregation have a chance, to talk to them about the things of God and the saving of Jesus, which is amazing. It, 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 miracles. We've got to keep praying for these things. But the country, it's fair to say, has probably turned its back uh, on Christ and Christianity. And then, if you noticed, it complains about downfall. It complains about the, uh, what's happening, whether it's the gang warfare uh, that's going on, whether it's uh, teenage pregnancies, whether it's uh, drug abuse or alcohol abuse, whatever it is. The further we go away from God, then the further the blessing is removed. And other religions making inroads in our country, and they have a great impact, and you've noticed they're not mocked. If they are mocked, you get locked up. Yet Christianity stands alone in the way that it's abused sometimes by others. Uh, we can, uh, people can say anything they want against Jesus Christ and, and there's no consequence. But it also stands alone in a very different way, in a much better way, that it is the truth. It is the truth. And, and as Christians, although we can be gentle and, and, um, and say things in a nice way, everything else is a deceit. Any other religion is a deceit. We believe that Jesus is the only way. And we say that boldly, and it upsets people. Um, but uh, we live in a free country at the moment, which means there's freedom of speech, which means I don't have to agree with everybody, and they don't have to agree with me. And my belief is, because the Bible tells me Jesus is the only way. He is the only way by that people can be saved. And, and the prevailing culture that we're in is against that kind of thought. So we seek, I think, we should seek to be a people of uh, obedience where God blesses rather than uh, face judgment in rebellion. I don't want to be a rebel. Uh, I do in some ways, but not to God. 
Um, I want to be able to follow God. You want to be able to follow God. And sometimes there is a battle going on, but we don't want to be a people of rebellion, going our own way. Because where there's rebellion, uh, then judgment will come. Not because God hates us, but because he wants to draw us back closer to him. And then where there's obedience, there is blessing, and that's what we want. And in our passage today, Ehad has just died. Israel had again turned away from God. Ehad was the latest answer before uh, Deborah to the answer to their prayers. But now he's gone, he's died, and again, uh, again, and you might think, well, how stupid are they? Israel turns away from God. And in verse 1 of chapter 4, they go into another time of judgment. They're in rebellion. They've been sold to a leader uh, who's against them, called Caesarea, and they put up with him for 20 years. It took them 20 years to come to their senses. You know, how long would it take our nation to come to its senses and cry out to God when we realise we can't manage things on our own? Finally, in verse 3, they cry to the Lord for help and enter Deborah, verse 4, which is the subject of today. She's, we're told she's a prophetess. We need prophets and prophetesses in our church, in our nation. We need people that can discern the sign of the times of what's going on, to be able to see clearly into situations. Sometimes uh, you can prophesy about the future, and the Bible says there is a gift of prophecy. We'll be looking at gifts of the Spirit next year, and we'll be exercising the uh, gifts of the Spirit next year. But some of you here will have that gift of prophecy and your blessing to the church. So sometimes it's in the future, but other times it's looking at society now and speaking into it. And the church is called to be prophetic, isn't it? And seeing the big picture. And leaders, and Deborah at this time, have to, have to uh, put a big emphasis on discerning what's actually happening in the world now. What is God saying in the world now? Seeing the big picture. Um, uh, to pray and discern, to take a step back, and sometimes to speak prophetically into the prevailing culture. The church needs to do that and to have a voice and in many ways has to recapture that voice and have an influence on society. To be prophetic, um, there was a recent conference. Um, I couldn't go to it. Gary went. I was supposed to go with him, um, but, but I couldn't. He went. And he was uh, telling me this, um, this analogy that the speaker was giving. And he said, as a leader, you do have to take a step back. You do have to have space to really see what's going on. And he used the analogy of, a, of the woods or the forest, I think. Is that right? And, and he said, you know, so you've got your people, and they're in the forest, and they've got their hacksaws and knives and swords, and Gary was there, so probably a lightsaber in there somewhere. And they're going through the forest, and they're doing all the hard work, and it's really, really good, and they're working really hard. And he said, the leader, though, stands back and looks what's going on and says, actually, we're in the wrong forest. And he has to have that space to be able to look out and discern and see where God as called the church and, and themselves too. And I think the forest that the church is in, in this country, not all churches, but we don't want to fall into this ourselves, the forest the church is in where we're doing loads of hard work, which is good, you know, it's, it's the good motives behind it, but the forest we're in, I think, is the pastoral forest. You know, we're looking after our own really well, which is great, and we believe in pastoral care. But it's a maintenance one, a comfortable one. And sometimes it's relying on the past culture, not the current culture. Great that caring, but not so great that sharing. And I, I think when I look at that, the big picture, and although we don't want to negate that, but the big picture is we're in the wrong forest. The world is dying. People are lost. They're turning back on Christ and Christianity. They're going their own way. They're finding or trying to find answers in either other faith groups or, or other uh, man-made things. And it leads to confusion and doubt and no real direction. And it's time for the church to say, it's time to cry out to God, like the Israelites did. 
Because we can keep moaning about the culture and we're okay, we're in here. But out there, it's a mess. And we want to move forward in blessing, putting behind the rebellion of safety and moving forward in blessing as we seek to live out God's great commission. Deborah sees the state of the nation of Israel and she now acts. She does something about it. She's prayed, she's discerned, she's noticed what forest they're in and now she's going to do something about it. As the leader, she carries with her an authority that comes from God and she's not ashamed of it. And I think some, some of the conferences I go to are not just in Christian circles but generally there's a crisis in leadership, there's a crisis in integrity, there's a crisis in honesty and we need in churches healthy, strong leaders, comfortable in the core that God has given them, not apologising for it. He's called them to lead. They need to lead. Being ready to radically take churches forward under the headship of Christ. And I have to say, sometimes I go around, sometimes you see that, um, but sometimes you don't. They need to be strong because like in any battle and any leader in this church, if you have any leadership position and you don't have to be a leader to have been subject to this, but if you do put your head above the parapet, then there's an attack. The enemy hates it. It could be physical. It could be spiritual. It could be against the ones you love. And the temptation to walk away will be immense. And leaders get assailed in that way. We're aware of it ourselves on the leadership, temptations, trying to fight their way into reality. But the Bible, again and again, calls us to stand. I remember uh, back in my last church, we had a new leader came on the team. And she, uh, we we went through the whole process and we discerned as a leadership, we discerned as a church, and we believed it was of God. And she came on the leadership. And in all the process, she was fine and everything else, and she was fine after. But I remember when we had our first meeting, I was in my office, and she said, I don't know what it is, I feel this burden on my shoulders. And I said, oh, that'll be the spiritual weight. Don't ever underestimate that on the, on the shoulders of leaders. Deborah is confident in her role. She says to Barak in verse 6, the Lord, the Lord, the God of Israel, commands you. She spoke for God. She eventually goes on to, to tell him to send 10,000 uh, men into battle. She's confident in her role. She's speaking for God. Not so much Barak in verse 8. He says, well, only if you go with me. He's not quite so confident. She's saying, God is speaking to you. Go and do this. He goes, I will. I'm going to put a condition on it. Only if you go with me. He didn't have his confidence. And when we cry out to God, whatever age we are, whether it's nursery school, school, university, work, in the families, in our homes, we must have, when we cry out to God, confidence in God. Verse 14. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? There are things in my life that I just don't understand. There are things in church life I just don't understand. Uh, There are things that are happening in the world I just don't understand. There are things that happen to us uh, that I don't understand. But what I do know is God goes before me and he will get me through. He will get me through. Don't we sing that? What's the song? Guardian. You go before me. How's it go? You go before me. You're right beside me. When I wander... Love will find me. Okay. See, the, gen- the, the new generation teaching the old. I love that. That should be in the Bible. We need to become like little children, Jesus said. Exactly. He's with us all the time. So he goes before me. I may not see the answer I want. I may not understand it. But I've got to have confidence in God and so have you. He's gone before you. And eventually, in this case, the confidence is rewarded. They have the victory. And in chapter 5, it is all spent on Deborah and Barak singing a song of praise. 
a song of praise. They, they were blessed in their obedience. They cried out to God. And then they had confidence in God that he would go before them. And I just wanted to say this morning to all of us, whatever age we are, the Lord goes before you. The Lord goes before you. Whatever situation the world throws at you, or the enemy throws at you, or whether it's just you're having a bad day, whether it's a health issue, a money issue, work issue, family issue, relationship issue, the Lord goes before you. He will see you through. In the end, it's okay. We're going to be with him forever if we're Christians. It's fantastic. But the Lord goes before us in church life, in personal life. He goes before us. And the question I have to ask myself, and you have to ask yourself this morning, is do I trust him in that? I've just got to let it go. I, as I say, I haven't got all the answers, nor have you. You don't know why everything's happening the way it is. But you've got to trust him. You've got to trust him. He's got you. He's got you. And whatever happens, he will never, ever let you go. The word says he guides us. He leads us. Deborah was confident of God in that. And we know that he guides us. We know that he leads us. Nowhere in the Bible does it promise an easy ride. Quite the opposite. But will, 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 will we, as he leads us, will we follow him? Or we can, we can be tempted by the world, but will we follow him? And for me as best I can, and I'm sure for you as well, I want to try and follow him. I think I do believe, because the Bible says, that's where we find blessing. And when I put my allegiance to him 100%, that's where I'm blessed. I'm not promised an easy run or anything like that. I'm, I'm promised life in its fullness. It can only be found in Christ. When he leads me, when he guides me, when I'm found in him, when I choose to follow him, then I believe there's blessing, there's not judgment. And then I believe I'll know my God is with me. And so for us, our church, our country, our world, this week, please, 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 don't underestimate the power of prayer. Cry out to God. Ask for forgiveness if there's been apathy. Ask for passion for the lost. Pray for the church. Pray for each other. Please pray for us as leaders. We need it. Pray for the community uh, outside. And then ask yourselves... Like Deborah kind of got on with it. She acted, asked, where do I need to act? Where do I need to put aside maybe an attitude of, well, I'm, I'm okay, um, I, I'm saved. So, you know, I'm not as worried for the outside. Or maybe I'm comfortable. And it's nice you're comfortable. Are we supposed to be comfortable all the time? And we've heard stories today which are really a blessing to the church. Not just the church here in Villariki, the church globally. And these stories will echo across this country. I see them on the Baptist Minister's Facebook page, all the holiday Bible clubs that are still going on. The Christian camps through the summer. Um, the holiday at home type events for uh, the older age group. It's all covered. God is still doing a work and he's using people who are giving up their time and sacrificing and they're acting. So pray for them because they'll be under attack as soon as they put their head above the parapet. But I don't want to be too comfortable. And I don't think as a church we're supposed to be too comfortable. I think we're supposed to be a little bit uncomfortable. So ask this week the Lord to show you. And I'm sure the Holy Spirit will come into your heart and show you maybe things where we can be just that bit more sacrificial, uh, where we can pray into the world and believe and have confidence in God in, in answered prayer. So I'm going to pray for us and then Christine will come up and uh, lead us in our closing worship. Father, we thank you for this story of Deborah and uh, some just brief lessons that we can learn ourselves. And I pray, Lord, that 
for, for whatever our calling is, uh, we'd be comfortable in that call. That once we know what you want us to do, we'll do it faithfully and diligently. We'll know that you, the Lord, goes before us. And I pray for people here this morning. Lord, whatever our mood, whether feeling a bit dejected or on a, a spiritual high or kind of just bobbing along, I just pray, Lord, that you'd fill us with your spirit afresh and that we would know that you're always with us, always by our side, always in us, that the kingdom of God is within us and that we can go out into the world and demonstrate that. Forgive us, Lord, where maybe if we've been comfortable or, or have apathy or just ha- happy with the status quo, I pray, Lord, you'll put a new spirit in us of zeal and fervour to reach the lost, to look at everything we do in the coming year ahead. I pray, Lord, we'll be challenged by the gifts of your spirit. I pray, Lord, we'll be changed by the fruit of your spirit. And I pray, Lord, that others would see us and we'd be the most attractive people because of the way that we serve you. In Jesus' name, amen.